This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by SeatBoost, an airline solution and technology platform that maximizes ancillary revenue by selling upgrades for expiring seat inventory. Visit SeatBoost.com slash Airline Weekly to discover how they can help boost ancillary revenue. That's S-E-A-T-B-O-O-S-T dot com slash Airline Weekly. United Airlines once again finished in third place among the U.S. Big Three carriers in terms of profitability in the first quarter. And not only did United finish last among the Big Three, it finished second to last among all the U.S. airlines that have reported. But it's not as bleak as all that. United did manage to close the gap a bit on American and Delta. Delta continues to lead the way with an 8% operating margin. American, as usual, took second place with a 6% margin, and United finished with nearly 4%. So it's 8%, 6%, and 4%. Meanwhile, the corresponding year-ago numbers were 11%, 8%, and 4%. In other words, everybody's margin shrunk, but Americans and Deltas shrunk a lot more than United's. Is that a big deal? I'll ask our resident airline aficionado, Seth Kaplan, in a few minutes. Seth's other title, by the way, is Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President at Airline Weekly. We'll also talk about the other U.S. carriers, Southwest, Alaska, JetBlue, Spirit, and more. It's a veritable U.S. earnings season bonanza in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Before we get into the specific airlines, let's talk about the first quarter overall. It's still a very good time to be a U.S. carrier. Business is good. But as we discussed regarding Delta in the last episode, costs are creeping up, especially fuel and labor. Yeah, uh, $1.7 billion net profit so far uh, for for the uh, U.S. airlines. I mean, this in a quarter when they used to collectively lose money, not bad at all. Operating margin collectively of seven percent. Again, good historically speaking, uh, but not if you compare it to let's say uh, 2015 when they had a 13 percent collective margin, or uh, then in early 2016 a 16 percent margin. So 13 percent, 16 percent, then nine percent last year, and seven percent this year. So yeah, you compare that 7% to 16% uh, as recently as two years ago, clearly they're feeling the pressure of uh, rising fuel costs, of course, and also expensive new labor deals. Uh, you know, they knew this, this was coming. That's easier to predict than, the, uh, than fuel costs, um, you know, once they started earning billions of dollars. We've talked about it before, Jason. They were going to have to uh, make good on their promises to employees to make them whole for everything they gave up in the battle days. And uh, and now uh, that, of course, is is coming due. So even, you know, even despite other positive forces, new aircraft, ancillary revenue still rising and all the rest of it, profits down considerably from where at least where they were a couple of years ago. Regarding fuel costs, yes, they are rising and all things being equal. That's bad. But the legacy carriers especially enjoy a consolation prize that comes with rising fuel. 
Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, well, you know, one thing is oil markets uh, around the world benefit, of course, when when uh, when fuel rises. So that's that's sort of a natural hedge. Uh, and the more exposed you are to those markets, the better off you are in terms of offsetting the cost issues uh, with the revenue benefit of that. And and then there are just the capacity moves that that uh, that come eventually from rising oil prices you know none of this happens in a vacuum everybody knows that when uh, fuel is rising it means you're you're going to need higher airfares essentially higher yields to 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 be able to break even and then to make some money and the way you achieve that is through simple supply and demand economics true in any industry certainly true uh, in the airline industry and, and so airlines become more shy about adding new capacity more aggressive about in, in some cases cutting capacity now there's always some lag time there you know, if if fuel costs spike today, uh, then an airline is left paying more for fuel today, even though you know there aren't going to be big capacity cuts today, and certainly their impact on on airfares that people pay eventually, you know, you're not going to see for for uh, for many months. But at, you know, after that lag time, you do get the full benefit. And by the way, that the same lag time it works in either direction. Uh, you know, those 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 very high margin. What did I say? Sixteen percent for for a first quarter, you know, off peak profit margin for the industry two years ago in 2016 was the result of of the opposite impact. At that point, you had fuel prices plummeting since mid 2014, and yet airlines not yet for a while growing as rapidly as they eventually began growing. Growing in response to the lower fuel costs, uh, so you know, right now we're in that that part where uh, sort of the the rare lines feel squeezed. You know, where fuel costs are rising. Uh, presumably, yes, it's going to have some benefit in terms of capacity going forward. But right now, you know, you have capacity flying that was still planned back when fuel was cheaper, and passengers flying on airfares that they paid uh, in many cases back when fuel was cheaper. Okay, so as I was getting at in the intro, United did a pretty good job of maintaining its year-over-year operating profit margin. Last year's Q1 was 3.9%. This year's was just a little less at 3.5%, whereas Delta and Americans fell considerably more. Seth, is that something for United to hang its hat on? Well, yeah, there's convergence there, clearly. Uh, you know, of course, what matters most is you want to see your, your absolute numbers um, uh, rising, not, you know, rather than just taking consolation in, in the fact that, that you dropped um, by less than your competitors, but uh, but no, it, it's good news. Good news, especially because United it, it tends to be a more seasonal airline than those other two. In the first quarter, airlines that do reasonably well in North America in the first quarter, or for that matter, kind of anywhere in the northern hemisphere, are ones that have strong north south networks where they can fly people from where it's cold to where it's warm. Uh, so, you know, if you're flying people uh, to Florida a lot, for example, uh, you know, as, as, as a U.S. airline or Canadian airline for that matter, um, you're going to get, you know, some of the benefit uh, of that. Um, and United has less of that. It has sort of more of an east-west network that does very well in the summer, peaks very strongly in the summer, but uh, you know, we don't get as much of that benefit in the first quarter. So, uh, so, so yeah, you know, not bad for them to to see, you know, to see that convergence uh, in in a quarter. You know, to be just yeah, about two two points less than uh, American, two and a half points less than American in a quarter. When you would expect American to do better than United. And by the way, remember what I said uh, answering your, your previous question about you know rising fuel costs. I said oil markets, just generally speaking, uh, you know it, it's good to have exposure to them at a time of rising fuel costs. 
Well, you know, guess what the most important of those markets in, in, in America is? It's Houston. And guess which airline has a hub there? It's United. And, and uh, you know, sure enough, I'll say it as I said before, things don't happen in a vacuum, right? Well, you know, no coincidence at all that United saw a 9% jump in uh, corporate travel revenues in in Houston. This was a market that came under a lot of pressure during the uh, collapse of fuel prices and is, is now seeing the full benefit. Uh, so overall, United's total revenues rose uh, 7% on just 4% ASM capacity growth. Uh, so, so, you know, Revenue strength greatly in, in in excess of the of the capacity growth. Uh, most U.S. airlines saw their revenues rise faster in capacity, but uh, United did particularly well. Operating costs rose eight percent, so that that's where you get that. You know the fact that their margin barely shrunk. It was because costs, as I said, rose just eight percent. Revenues rose seven uh, percent. So uh, not a uh, a big negative differential there. Um, United, by the way, did very well in transatlantic markets. Uh, unit revenues up uh, almost double digits there. Asia was good. Um, you know, San Francisco still doing very well, uh, even with all the new capacity there from Alaska and Southwest. You know, everybody piling into to the Bay Area. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, more good news than bad for United. And lastly, regarding United. We've been wondering for a few years now whether United can ever catch American or Delta in terms of profitability. Obviously, they're not there yet, but tell me this. With one quarter of this year in the books, is it a more interesting or less interesting question? Well, I guess by definition, you have to say if, if they've converged a little, it's it's uh, it's it's more interesting. Let let's see how the year unfolds. Um, like I said, you know, for them to just be doing not too much worse than American in a quarter, that's that's just sort of seasonally tougher for United is is um is pretty good. But yeah, I just feel like we've seen this so many times over the years. United start to close the gap a little bit, and then something goes wrong that we would want to see some more uh, confirmation before we can. Uh, you know, we can say that that they're really in, in the ball game in, in a meaningful way. With American Airlines, costs certainly crimped profits, but revenues remain strong. Where did that strength come from, in particular? Yeah, in their case, Asia, as was the case for United, uh, was very good. Now, Asia is much smaller for American than it is for United. United is very much an Asia specialist. Uh, American, you know, other than Japan, not a huge presence uh, to Asia. And even with Japan, they run a joint venture with Japan Airlines, JAL, uh, which is uh, flown much more heavily by JAL than it is by American. Kind of interesting. JVs, you know, usually kind of 50-50. That one, uh, you know, more of the flying is is outsourced, uh, so to speak, to uh, to Japan Airlines. I will say American uh, spoke sort of less enthusiastically about trends in Europe uh, than was the case for um, for Delta and United. Seemed to be some issues with um, the way the Joint venture revenues there are distributed. I mean, don't forget, you know, there are partners on the other side, I, the IAG airlines. Um, you've got British Airways um, sort of defending against Norwegian flights from Fort Lauderdale to uh, Gatwick and, you know, things like that that are long term strategic plays because of Norwegian, but, you know, we're, that I'm sure are not doing well. Level, uh, you know, flying from Barcelona, uh, flying for now under Iberia's code. Uh, you know, th- those are ventures that, you know, that might make sense. 
probably aren't profitable right now and that can weigh on uh the joint venture and thus on america's americans rather um results in general to asia um but american also has a lot to be uh optimistic about i mean in terms of joint ventures you know speaking of those probably nobody with more reason for optimism going forward than american i mean look they're uh they've reapplied for a jv with Qantas. we'll see what happens now last time they applied was was during the previous Obama administration, now it's the Trump administration. We'll see. They want to get a JV going with uh, with Latam uh, in South America, uh, you know, and that is very much the prize in terms of South American airlines. You know, I'm sure, United will be happy to have theirs with with uh, Avianca if they can uh, get that going. But you know, an American Latam JV between the strongest U.S. airline to Latin America and the strongest airline down there would be great. Delta, of course, has theirs with, with Aeromexico, sort of covering it mostly a different geography. Uh, China Southern, uh, you know, is, is, is another opportunity. Um, American owns uh, the, the, the small piece of it. When the new airport in Beijing opens, China Southern sees that as a big opportunity and thus American also sees that as a, as a big opportunity. So, um, uh, so yeah, uh, an airline with, with a lot to look forward to. Both United and American are adding feed from small cities to their hubs. Why are they pursuing that now? Rather remarkable, really, uh, change from several years ago when the story was all about um, small and in some cases even medium-sized U.S. cities losing air service. Uh, United and American, as you said, both aggressively adding service, in some cases new cities, in some cases new capacity, as pipes into their hubs. Look, I mean, some of it is just them kind of thinking the cutting went too far, that there are opportunities in these cities. Uh, some of its competitive dynamics between those two airlines you know, sort of started with United looking at some small cities and realizing that, uh, you know, if, if American has flights from Columbia, Missouri into Chicago O'Hare, from, you know, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois into Chicago O'Hare, that, you know, if places, if people in places like those want to fly to London or Tokyo, uh, you know, American kind of had a monopoly on that business. And so, uh, you know, United went into some of those cities, like the two I mentioned, American in other cases went into cities that uh, United monopolized. So part of it's just that competitive dynamic between the two of them. And then more broadly, what has flipped over the past several years is that, you know, it, it used to be that for most airlines, their best traffic was nonstop traffic. Uh, you know, in terms of just the the best yields, where you know, if you're flying from Chicago to Dallas, the customers as an airline that you might like most of all are the nonstop customers, uh, because not only are they a little cheaper to serve um, uh, with, with just the one flight, but the yields tended to be strongest because these were people who would pay premiums uh, to fly, you know, to, to get the nonstop flight. You know, somebody who is willing to connect somewhere else uh, in exchange for a lower fare. Hey, let somebody else have that passenger, right? Well, uh, with the ultra low cost carriers, especially competing in these big city markets in recent years, I mean, Spirit, especially in the market, I just said Chicago, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth would be would be an example there, you know, they've become meaningful competitors for the the local passengers, as you call them, the, the people flying nonstop. And so, you know, with very low fares in the market, the airlines like United and American and Delta have to compete. I mean, they're doing that a little more surgically now than in the past with basic economy fares, sort of trying to not dilute too much of their overall economy revenue. But the reality is that, you know, those low fares are in the marketplace uh, in those nonstop markets. Whereas from the smaller cities, you know, in most cases, the ultra low cost carriers aren't there. 
uh, and, and they're less competitive and, and uh, they can actually be better yield environments than nonstop. It's really Scott Kirby at, at United who's who's kind of crystallized that idea. They told us that uh, in a, a cover story interview that we did, oh, it was about a year and a half ago when they really had started pursuing all of this. And, and clearly, it's something that, uh, that, that American feels to be the case as, as well. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, SeatBoost. SeatBoost combines a highly engaging mobile user experience with top-notch experiential marketing to sell upgrades and boost ancillary revenue. With SeatBoost, airlines gain robust data insights and maximize revenue on last-minute upgrade sales, whether it's first class, business class, or premium economy upgrades. Visit SeatBoost.com slash AirlineWeekly to discover how they can help boost ancillary revenue. Now... Those listening closely might have noticed that at the outset of the show, I mentioned that United had the second worst profit margin in Q1, which begs the question, who had the worst? The answer is a bit of a surprise. Indeed, uh, an airline that was one of those most profitable in, in America, I mean, really in all the world, uh, not long ago, talking about Alaska Airlines, less than 3% operating margin. For an airline that, uh, yeah, even even a year ago, let me see, uh, what did they have? They were oh twelve percent. I mean, a, a dramatic decline. Where did that come from? Well, the fuel costs were up twenty eight percent. Okay, those rose for all airlines. You know, labor costs up twenty percent. So costs in general, you add it all up, were up sixteen percent. Uh, that on. 8% ASM capacity growth. So costs rising at twice the clip of, of uh, capacity. And uh, hey, you might say, well, okay, but costs are only one side of the ledger. What about revenues, right? It doesn't matter if costs spike. If revenues are also spiking, that's not what happened. Um, revenues rose just 5%. Uh, revenues didn't even keep pace with uh, with capacity growth, even as costs doubled capacity growth. Uh, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about United, how for them revenues rose much more than capacity. I said you know they did better than um, than many, but that most U.S. airlines at least did did see revenues keep pace with capacity or or, or rise slightly. Alaska, you know, clearly one of the ones that didn't. Uh, you know, this is an airline that's digesting. It's big acquisition still, Virgin America. You had to figure, I mean, look, they bought an airline that was a lot less profitable than they were. So just sort of the very simple math tells you that that's going to dilute your profits when you have really, really high profit margins. On day one, when you marry those with a a lower margin airline, it's it's going to dilute your profits. Obviously, the idea being that, well, you know, they'll... There will be all kinds of synergies, and 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 the the whole as companies would always say will be add up to more than some of its parts, and um, that may still happen. Um, but yeah, for now, no question. Uh, this this is an airline that is uh, has gone from being a, a global standout to to producing mediocre margins. So, is this a blip for Alaska, or can we expect? more tough sledding for the airline that has an Eskimo on its tail. They feel like the bad news is mostly behind them and and the opportunities uh, are still in front of them. I mean, they're not just sort of waiting for it to happen. They are slowing ASM capacity growth down to less than 7% this year from what was a very fast growth airline, uh, more like 4% uh, next year and the year after. And not all the growth is created equal. 
in terms of immature markets, you know, markets that they've been flying for less than 12 months, um, those have represented a pretty big percentage of capacity. Um, you know, it's been like 9% of their available seat miles. And that matters because new markets tend to be, I mean, you can have a sort of an overnight success, but they tend to be less profitable than than existing market. They just take time to sort of grow into themselves. And so, you know, when a pretty big percentage of your flying is in those new markets, just almost kind of by definition, a pretty big percentage of your flying might not be all that profitable. Now, obviously, in recent years, it was offset by wildly profitable uh, other markets. But anyway, you know, that 9% figure of, of new flying is going to be down to more like 3% by later this year. Uh, you know, a pretty big drop. Uh, the competitive co- capacity situation, uh, you know, they're, they're flying in you know, a lot of West Coast markets where, yeah, there's a lot of demand, great economies, but also a lot of supply, you know, Southwest at war with them and all that. They think that's going to moderate. They say by next year, most of the costs associated with the mer- with the, the Virgin acquisition will be behind them. You know, they've been having to digest this airline and the revenue synergies, on the other hand, should be in full bloom. So, you know, they they sort of see this as as a transition year in between some very good times in the past and uh, and in the future. And this is a company that you give them some benefit of the doubt in terms of what they've uh, what they've managed to achieve uh, over the past oh, a little more than a decade. Moving from the West Coast to the East Coast, let's check in on JetBlue. Seven percent operating margin, down from nine percent the year before. Yeah, kind of interesting to think what would have happened if JetBlue had ended up with Virgin America. Uh, you know, they wanted it, and and. Uh, you know, Alaska sort of defensively ended up bidding for it. Uh, you know, would JetBlue be the one under under um, pressure? And and by the way, for JetBlue, if that had been the case, if they had had these these same uh, challenges, that could have been even more of a challenge for JetBlue than it was for Alaska because JetBlue didn't start from as high a place in terms of its margins as as Alaska. So, uh, you know, we'll never know the answer to that. But uh, but it's interesting to think about certainly. Yeah. So it's it's uh you, you mentioned seven percent down from nine percent. That's because. Guess what? Revenues rose, but by less less than uh, less than operating costs. Revenues up twelve percent. Operating costs up ten percent. Uh, by the way, all of that on just three um, percent uh, available seat mile capacity growth. So, so this was an- another airline whose revenues um, rose. The revenue growth was greatly in excess of the of the capacity growth. Very good revenue performance. It uh, by the way, you know, the three percent capacity growth. Part of that was impacted by just um the all the real bad weather in the Northeast in the first quarter that wiped out about one percent of uh of ASMs. Look, an airline with a lot of uh, uh, Caribbean exposure. Puerto Rico is is rebounding uh, nicely. A lot of family visit traffic re- rebounding there. You know, obviously tourism will 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 take longer. Um, JetBlue definitely benefited, I should say, from the the earlier Easter holiday this year. Shifted uh, more into the first quarter last year it was entirely a second quarter event, and JetBlue is one of those airlines where you know that matters a lot. Um, Easter Passover too, all of that demand. Or some of that demand, anyway, moved into the first quarter this year. Uh, so, um, so that was uh, important for them. But um, yeah, g- generally speaking, JetBlue, an, an airline that's um, that's that's doing rather well, uh, seems to be happy with with where it is. Also, posting a seven percent operating profit margin was Spirit Airlines. We wrote in Airline Weekly that while they had the same margin as JetBlue. It comes with a, quote, foreboding sense that trends are moving in the wrong direction, unquote. 
Can you add some color to that, Seth? Yeah, I could add color, but I could also do even better. I can add numbers to that. You know, yeah, this this is an airline that you mentioned that seven percent for the first quarter. You know, all of last year uh, they were at fifteen percent. And uh, that was down from 24% in 2015. Now, everybody was down since 2015, between 2015 and 2017, but not down by as, as much as that. So, for you know, uh, JetBlue, for example, back in 2015 was five points worse uh, than Spirit. And by 2017, they were just one point worse for the whole year. And then, as you said, for this just completed first quarter, they're now even with Spirit. Um, so whereas, you know, JetBlue feels rather good about where they are relatively within the industry, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's tougher for Spirit. They, by the way, were the other airline. I said it a couple times, most airlines, you know, saw revenues grow by more than capacity, in some cases by a lot more than capacity. Uh, we mentioned Alaska was one of two exceptions to that. I guess who was the other exception? Uh, yeah, Spirit, uh, 19% revenue growth, 19% revenue growth. It sounds like a lot, but their capacity growth was 22%. Uh, and, and so you could already guess that uh, obviously with the kind of margin deterioration they've seen, it's because of huge growth in costs, you know, fuel up 46%, uh, labor up 22%, overall operating costs up uh, 24%. Again, remember that's on 22% capacity growth. Uh, so yeah, no, Spirit is an airline that uh, 7% figure for the quarter down from 11% for the quarter uh, last year. So not as much deterioration as Alaska, let's say, which went from what twelve percent to three percent, but um, but still uh, uh, some deterioration and a continuation of of unhelpful uh, trends. And so, you know, what Spirit's doing about that? Well, they like Alaska are uh, are slowing their growth. In Spirit's case, I mean, Spirit's growing a lot faster to begin with. They're growing twenty nine percent ASMs this quarter. Uh, that'll be down to thirteen percent next year. And Jason, you know, I, I should say, you know, we mentioned the potential mitigating impact of higher oil prices for for the legacy airlines, American Delta and United. You know, the oil markets benefit from it, and maybe slower capacity growth and all that. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. You know, from Spirit's perspective, if we think about one thing that has gone wrong for them in the past few years, it's been this uh, fair compression that started when fuel prices fell where you know spirit is an airline that i mean although yeah they're trying to change this i mean look this is an airline that is structured to do best by winning on price you know by 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 being cheap you know and 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 back when when prevailing airfares were you know, really, for the first time almost in history, rising in real terms, uh, it, it had become somewhat expensive to fly other airlines. You know, Spirit could attract a lot of business just by being a lot cheaper than those other airlines. And people who didn't really want to fly Spirit might fly Spirit just because it was cheap. You know, here over the past couple of years, we've been in this environment where prevailing airfares are a lot lower. And, you know, we've discussed this before on here, but to just repeat the point, a few years ago, yes, Spirit could be, especially for a family, hundreds of dollars cheaper than another airline. You know, when JetBlue is $39, you can't be hundreds of dollars cheaper than $39 by definition. And so, so that's why they found themselves trying to become you know, more reliable, doing some of these other things. But eh, that's not really what they're structured to do. If 
airfares were to begin rising again in response to you know constrained capacity which squeezes up yields airfares um then uh they could find themselves back in a situation where there's more room to undercut the other airlines and and you know i mean you'd want to be able to do more than just wait for that to happen and to just sort of wait for people you don't really want to fly you'd have to fly you again i know it doesn't sound like uh like a very proactive uh strategy but you know, this is an airline that did well when uh, when when airfares were rather expensive, and uh, you know, could be the case again if that if that starts to happen. Although we're a long way from airfares being all that expensive. Okay, we're moving on to the uh, winners portion of our show, and one of the winners in Q1 was Southwest. They posted a double digit, twelve percent margin in the off peak quarter. They were one of only three U.S. airlines to reach double digits. Again, I should note, not everybody is reported, including Frontier and Sun Country. Seth, tell me about this. We talked about you know airlines that had revenue growth outpaced capacity growth, and you know for almost everybody, cost growth outpaced revenue growth. Right um, for Southwest, it's it, pretty simple story. Uh, revenues up two percent year over year. Costs up two percent. ASM capacity growth up two percent. All, all of them, uh, you know, just, just, just right in line there, and, and yes, I said costs also uh, up just, uh, just two percent. Um, so here's an airline where you didn't have cost growth exceed, you know, in some cases for other airlines significantly exceed uh, revenue growth. Uh, that, by the way, was because of a fuel cost, and that's that in turn is because Southwest had a lot of bad hedges uh, a year earlier. Uh, they were much more heavily hedged, and so the the, you know, the comparisons for them are much. I was going to say much more favorable. I guess much less unfavorable than they are for uh, for other airlines, just because they sort of overpaid for fuel a year earlier. So you know, so so comparably, they they uh, they look better, even though it's you know, just kind of just kind of a bad story a year earlier. And uh, and by the way, you know, Southwest remains a a more active hedger. Uh, than other airlines. And at this moment, that's not a bad thing to be. They say it's really kind of above $80 a barrel oil, where they really start to see the benefit, where they start to you know pay a lot less than everybody else for fuel. And uh, where are we right now? As we record, uh, $67 oil, you know, actually, uh, uh, you know, down significantly here midweek. But yeah, this is an airline that in that regard, too, as well as its exposure to a lot of markets in the middle of the country, um, you know, where where, where uh, oil revenue is, is a good thing. Um, you know, Southwest, an airline that wouldn't be worth thinking of if, uh, if if fuel prices were to uh, uh, were to rise on, on a competitive basis. So yeah, no, they they're uh, they're they're doing well. Uh, their loyalty program is is clearly a, the, an area of strength for them uh their new revenue uh, reservation system from amadeus installed you know it's been there for a year or so now but uh, they say a lot more revenue benefits to come from that and hey anytime they want they can start charging for bags uh they can start assigning seats you know for a fee uh for 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 uh, the good seats and then all that sort of thing you know they can start distributing more widely through online travel agencies all things that i think and that you know a lot of people think are, are huge opportunities for them you know, although they they show no sign at the moment of, of uh, doing any of those things. One question that has nothing to do with the first quarter. Uh, as most people are aware, Southwest had a fatality on board a flight a couple of weeks ago due to a blown engine. After that, they suspended all marketing. Why did they do that? And are they worried about public confidence? I mean, air, airlines, companies in general sort of you know, tend, tend to do that. It's just sort of unseemly to be out there right after something goes wrong with with uh you know just advertising 
low fares and bag supply free and all the other stuff that they you know you know uh, th- th- that they do you kind of have to have a, a little bit of a quiet period let's say from from a uh, from a marketing perspective now you know for them that's that's maybe more of an issue than it is for other airlines because uh, well, it kind of goes back to something I was saying a minute ago, distribution. You know, they depend a lot more on advertising in terms of driving ticket sales than uh, than any other US airline because they they don't, you know, it's not as if anybody just goes on Expedia or Kayak or something looking for flights and happens to find Southwest. You know, you're not going to see the Southwest flights unless you go to southwest.com. Uh, so you know that that's that's something where they maybe suffered more than most. Um, they did say that they saw um uh, an impact. All of this, by the way, this was of course after the first quarter. You know the results that that they've already released. They said that yeah that they that they saw a, a an impact. You know a drop in demand, um, but nothing so different from you know a really bad you know, storm in terms of impact and profitability that kind of thing. Uh, so obviously, I mean we're talking here about money. Uh, you know the human toll is is uh. Uh, is 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 another story, and Southwest is you know very clearly you know, mourning what happened, even though they're of course proud of their flight crew from from uh, for preventing things from being worse. But yeah, in financial terms, an impact, um, but you know nothing that's that's uh, that's probably going to endure as long as the co- the, the the public feels like they're um, you know taking the steps they need to take, inspecting the engines and all the things that are they're going on now. And, and I and I and I should say by the way, Jason, that I I um happened to be on a Southwest flight yesterday um with with my uh my wife and uh and and daughter and um yeah you you could uh completely full flight by the way from from uh, Fort Lauderdale back up to uh to, to Washington Reagan and and you 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 could kind of feel I don't know if this was me reading into it but um like they were sort of trying extra hard to make people feel uh, feel comfortable a flight attendant came to us and and uh you know seeing us traveling with a, with a small child but you know said hey okay so you, you know about putting you know if there's a yeah, you know, if the oxygen mask fall, putting your mask on first, and you know, before before putting hers on, and uh, the uh, the captain was uh, standing outside the cockpit greeting everybody as we were boarding. You know, sometimes you'll see a captain do that, say goodbye to everybody, but um, but he was doing that as people were boarding too, and so you you could kind of see the the uh, the cockpit and cabin crew sort of doing their doing their part to uh, you know, make people feel uh, comfortable and confident. Hawaiian Airlines continues its hot streak in the first quarter, posting a 12% operating margin similar to Southwest. Yeah, uh, an airline that was bankrupt last decade, definitely one of the big turnaround stories in in the industry. You know, and they're and they're doing as well as they're doing despite uh, a lot of it's a capacity onslaught from United and others. I mean, Hawaii is. You know, it's another one of those places where you know demand is very strong, but that's no secret. So, uh, so other airlines pile in there, um, and when you're Hawaiian, you know you kind of have no place to run. Um, you know, you're you're going to have to absorb that, and so um, you know, really a credit to them doing as well as they are. Now, look, they uh, uh, as much as they face all of that new capacity, they also benefit from the fact that a local competitor, Island Air went out of business um and and so in terms of inter-island routes you know an important impact from that too but yeah no doing very very well that 12 percent operating margin jason by the way that you mentioned down from down from 14 percent a year earlier but that's one of the smaller drops among uh, among u.s carriers and they're doing that by the way despite some other challenges um you know the a321 neo delivery delays that impact some airlines i mean uh, hard to think of any airline more impacted by that than Hawaiian. You know, they 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 don't have those aircraft flying, even though they've 
paying to train pilots for them and all that sort of thing. They've had to postpone retiring 767s. You know, so 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 dealing uh, with with a lot and and nonetheless doing very well. Their revenues, by the way, uh, grew 10% uh, on, on 5% capacity growth. So, um, so another airline, you know, with, with very, very good revenue performance and total operating costs up just 12% uh, on, on uh, 5% more capacity. So, um, so costs up by a bit more than revenues, but, uh, but not dramatically more so. You know, hence the uh, the rather good result, uh, and an airline still with a lot to look forward to. In their case, um, uh, they want to get things going with with uh, Japan Airlines, venture with them. So they're getting ready to apply for antitrust immunity, uh, and of course, they recently ordered Dreamliners. Uh, those will start coming in uh, in twenty twenty one. So the the, uh, the fleet transformation they're continuing. Okay, time for the big finish. Unless Frontier or Sun Country has some pretty fantastic numbers up their sleeve, the big winner in the U.S. in the first quarter was Allegiant with a whopping 19% operating profit margin. Seth, how did they do it? Yeah, and that, that by the way, um, was a decline of less than a point from from a year earlier, despite fuel rising 25% for them, labor costs up 17%, total operating costs up, by the way, 13% on 10% ASM capacity growth. Uh, but revenues were up 12%. So there, so again, to say it again, operating costs up 13%, revenues up 12%. So obviously, when revenues grow by almost as much as operating costs, you get that rather good, uh, you know, just a very modest decline in operating margin. Uh, look, they've, they've got great exposure to Florida. Um, which is uh, which is doing rather well right now. You know, it's an airline that's that's just always had that unique and successful network model of just kind of collecting people in places that didn't previously have uh, nonstop service to big leisure destinations like Florida, like Las Vegas, uh, Phoenix, and elsewhere, and um, you know offering them a, a cheap uh, nonstop flight. And that's that's still most of what they do, even if the even as they've gotten into some other you know kinds of flying. From you know places like Cincinnati, that they feel like are are uh, you know have, have just sort of the cutting was was overdone when after Legacy Hubs uh, Hubs closed. Uh, they of course were the subject of that uh, that CBS sixty Minutes uh, report alleging um, uh, shoddy uh, safety practices, and so of course the big question going into the earnings call last week is you know what kind of impact, if any, that was having on on bookings uh, bookings in the current quarter, I should say. So like Southwest, which had you know, it's it's incident um, in, in that case with, with with an actual fatality, but uh, um, you know, coming after uh, the first quarter earnings, you know, Allegiant is a little bit different. It's, it's you know, these questions about safety practices, although nothing had actually happened very recently. And sure enough, Allegiant said that yeah, there was um, there was an impact on bookings, but it was it was um, sort of wearing off uh, day by day. So kind of interesting. I, I honestly, I think. Southwest's decline in demand, sort of, even though they were, you know, they were the airline that actually had a fatality. I think that surprised me a little more just because, you know, in Allegiant's case, it was sort of another report about, you know, that sort of followed other negative media attention. Whereas, you know, Southwest, I mean, they had had those other engine issues, but generally an airline that just, you know, many decades of, of, of well-regarded safety record. Um, I, I think I was less surprised um, that Allegiant suffered, suffered, you know, some impact on demand than I was by the fact that Southwest did. Um, but again, for both airlines, it, it does seem to be 
temporary impact. Something that'll show up uh, for the earnings of this current quarter, but um, but but uh, probably not in a dramatic fashion. Okay, that wraps up the first quarter earnings season for the U.S. carriers. Hope it was a delightful as delightful for you as it was for us. For Seth Kaplan, <laughs> I'm Jason Cottrell, and this has been episode 96 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge was sponsored by SeatBoost. Visit SeatBoost.com slash Airline Weekly and discover how they can help boost ancillary revenue. That's S-E-A-T-B-O-O-S-T dot com slash Airline Weekly.